Welcome to the morning community of Northridge Vineyard. Our deepest desire is that you will encounter Jesus as you listen in to our morning gathering. If you'd like to find out more about us, check out our website, northridge.org.au forward slash mornings. Oh, so um, such a joy to hear your prayers and your words and your scriptures, guys, as we worship just then. I realized earlier this week that is something I've missed most over this last year is actually hearing the, the voice of the Spirit as he speaks through the church. That's, it's just so precious to me personally and to us. Um, and yeah, so thank you for going for it this morning and let's keep doing that. Let's keep pressing into that place. <clears throat> I'm going to talk a bit more about that in a bit, but um, I just want to say thank you. That's, it's just been beautiful. Can I grab that water bottle off you, Bon? Is that right? Um, so today we're going to start uh, something of a, a new series. Uh, and, uh, and we're thinking a little bit, I think there's a slide come up, thinking about uh, key kind of turning points in our lives. We've got a slide for that somewhere there. Um, no? Okay. Oh, there it is. Look at that. Uh, uh, it's um, some funky design work going on there. So it's not your eyes. If it looks a bit oily, <laughs> um, it's meant to look like that. But uh, yeah, we're, we're, we're looking at some of the key turning points. I wanted to start by sharing with you. You can just leave that slide up there for a bit. I, um, I wanted to start by sharing with you, I guess, one of the key, I guess, turning points in my life. When I was at university, I'll do this now. When I was at university, I went there to study something called cognitive science. Um, Beck Gelding will know all about that because she has a PhD in it. But uh, so I'm going to ask her about it because I don't remember anything really. Um, and it's basically sort of looking at the way that the brain works, artificial intelligence, all that kind of stuff. I, what really the biggest thing to come out of those three years for me was ministry. Not really anything to do with cognitive science. I um, just really wasn't a very good student, to be quite honest with you. Um, but I spent a lot of my time investing in sharing the gospel. Um, just with my student friends, praying that God would release his power, his spirit on the campus. Um, and I, I had some of the best conversations over those three years with different people at 2 a.m. in the morning or, you know, just at random times when you're not expecting it. And so when I came out of university, I actually went and spent a year working with students in a different university um, down in Plymouth in the southwest of England. And I did that sort of voluntarily. I don't, I don't, they didn't pay me, did they? Um, I did that voluntarily. Uh, it was our first year of marriage. And I thought uh, that that was sort of going to be the next really probably 10 years uh, was going to be working with students. And I actually, after about six months of doing that, and I was working with a, uh, an organization, a student organization in the UK called UCCF. Um, and uh, after about six months of doing that, I actually went for a job with them. I went for an interview. Um, and I remember going up, I think it was in Leicester, uh, going up for a day of sort of discussions and interviews and hearing about what it would mean and really not getting paid anything at all. But it was, it was going to be the next three, four, five years 
of my life. And, um, and I remember some quite interesting conversations. They, they weren't that crazy about the Vineyard Church. Uh, they thought we were a bit weird um, as an organization, but that's okay. We, we talked a bit about that. And I was pretty confident that they were going to say, yeah, we'd love you to come and work with us. And so I was quite surprised and a bit sad a couple of weeks later when they came back to me and they said, um, as you know, I don't think it's going to work. Uh, not, not where you are. Maybe if you were willing to travel to other parts of England. But Bonnie had got a job in Plymouth where we were and, and we weren't. We, we couldn't. And, and a door closed that I thought was, was open. And it was, a, it was an interesting time because I finished off the year and then I started looking for work. I started temping. I was quite young still, so it wasn't actually such a big deal. But for me, it, it, was, um, it was a big surprise. It was not what I had expected. And I think I worked in data entry for like a year, which is just brain-numbing if anyone's ever done that. Um, and eventually, I, I got involved with the IT side of things. And bit by bit, I ended up working in IT for the next 10 years. And, um, you know, it was... a it was an interesting time. As I look back on that, I realized I thought I was going this way, and that door just closed, and I ended up going in a totally different way. Fast forward, and seven years later, we were applying for, and it wasn't seven, quite that long, four years, maybe three or four years later, we were applying to come here, and they said, so what do you do? And so I said, well, I work in IT, I'm an IT professional, and they were like, great, come on in. And we, we look back at that and we realize God had his hand in us coming here in what we thought, what I thought was a dead end. And it was a disappointment, really. I thought that's what I was for, was for ministry. And as we moved here, God was very encouraging. He gave us some encouraging words to hold on and hang in there. And it's, um, yeah, it, it's, that was how long ago? I don't know. Lost 17 years ago we came here. Uh, so, you know, it's funny, I don't know about you, when you look back, you might be able to see times like that in your lives where you go, wow, that isn't what I thought was going to happen. And how do, we, how do we navigate those key moments in our lives when change happens and we, we didn't expect it? Or at least we, it can create a real uncertainty about what the future holds, um, which, you know, can lead to anxiety. It can, it can lead sometimes to confusion about, well, what, what now? Or maybe even disillusionment. I thought this was going to happen. God, why are you not leading me in this way? What, what's going on? I thought I heard you say this. And maybe I didn't. And sometimes it can lead to grief. Something that we thought we were going to be doing or have or be. And we have to let go of that. And it's actually something of a grieving time. Um, you know, if you're like me, you've got like at least three books on your bookshelf about change. Um, some people hate change, they'd rather just not talk about it. Some people love it. I kind of think I like change until it comes along. And, um, and so, I, you know, I have a few books on change. And some of them, are, they have some great ideas and they're very helpful. But, you know, the Bible has a lot to say about dealing with change in our lives as well. But it doesn't kind of say it in the same way. You know, we can't really pull out a nice neat verse that says this is how you manage change. So we're going to spend the next six or seven weeks looking at some of the, I guess, the stories 
the narrative of Scripture and looking at how people um, navigated different key moments of change in their lives. And, and our heart, our prayer, is that we would grow through what people did wrong, <laughs> uh, what they did right, but mostly what God did, how God held them and his faithfulness. Um, and I loved hearing so many of those words this morning about God's faithfulness in the midst of this moment. You, you may, I, I'm sure you wouldn't, but you may be wondering why now. It might be obvious to you. But, you know, actually, as a church, we're at a key turning point. We're at a key moment. Our wonderful lead pastors from Cathy are here this morning. Lovely to see you guys. After 23 years, they're going to be stepping down uh, in less than two months' time as senior pastors. Um, and, and Bonnie and I are going to step into that role. We're going to farewell these guys on the 21st of March. We're going to have a service here just to say thank you and farewell as senior pastors. And it's, there's going to be joy and sadness all at the same time. And that's a key, it's a key moment. You know, we, it's, not a, it's not a change that we've been suddenly thrust upon. We've been working towards this for quite a number of years. But it's, nonetheless, it's a sort of change that's critical in the life of any church. And I think for us, it's a defining moment, really, um, as a church family. And then throw into all of that, you've got COVID. And all that this last year has looked like. You know, I think we've really missed, haven't we, the our chance to just have a cup of coffee together after a service. Um, and we're praying and hoping that will come about soon. But we've, we've missed some of that core sense of community for many of us, many people have said to me over the year, this is why I come to church. I think, wow, okay, okay. But it shows, you know, it's so important for us to connect, to, to be community together. And we've also, like I said before, we've really missed, I think, the voice of the Spirit as he speaks through us, as we hear each other in a room, as we gather. Because actually, you know, as we hear the Lord encouraging us, we we stop fearing about whether what will the future hold and we start to trust again. He's got this. He has what we need for whatever the future is. I love that. But this season is, I feel like it's one of those moments that's going to be actually critical for us. And how we navigate that as a church family, yes, as individuals, but together also as a church family is really key. In fact, it's probably the, one of the most critical moments for us as a church ever since we started. Is how we kind of, what this next two to three years looks like. I don't, I don't want to kind of be too dramatic, but that, that is what we're sensing. The Lord is going, this is really important that we watch closely what he's doing and how he leads us in this time. <clears throat> so um, we're going we're gonna to have a look at the series. But today we're going to look at a passage that, no one would use to write a book on change. It's just not the passage you would look at. We're going to read Genesis 3. And can I encourage you to open up your phones, open up your books. We're going to read through. I'm going to kind of, we don't have time to read all of it today. So I'm going to try and skip through. So if I get something wrong or miss something important, you can just raise your hand and heckle me if you like. But we're going to, we're just going to kind of refresh our memories on that. I wasn't organized enough to get the words up on the screen. So you're going to have to do the work. Pull out your Bible, pull out your, pull out your phone. Have a, have a quick look at Genesis 3. 
And as we do that, let me just pray. Lord, I, I just pray that as we open up your word today, your voice would speak to our hearts. It would be you, Holy Spirit, who comes and transforms us. We, oh Lord, I know that I'm not coming with wise and persuasive words this morning. So we depend on you for your Spirit's power to demonstrate what you are doing. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Okay, so we have, you've got Genesis 3 in front of you. So, a quick synopsis, and then I'm going to read a, a few kind of chunks of, of the scripture. So, we, we open with the serpent, who is, we're told, crafty, and he deceives Eve into eating the forbidden fruit. Okay. Now, this is a passage that many of us know, know so well that often we skip over things. So, that's the challenge this morning, is to find the thing you missed last time you read this, or you thought you knew. So Eve eats the fruit, and she shares it with her husband, who really needs no convincing at all. Um, and they both instantly become ashamed of their nakedness, and they hide from the Lord God. And then uh, if we pick it up from verse 8, it says this, Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? And the man said, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. And so the tragic story unfolds. Mankind's disobedience, we go on and read, has profound consequences. Not just for them, but the whole of creation. You know, if, we, if, we, if you jump to verse 16, you'll see at that point, as God talks through the curses and the consequences of this action, we see that physical pain enters into the world. Relational strife, tension, arguments, fighting, it, it enters into the world at this point. As it, almost like a fruit of what they have done. And God curses the ground it's going to now, from now on, it's going to be painful, frustrating toil. Every time you're trying to grow vegetables in your garden and they don't grow, you can remember this is the curse that God brought on the ground. Every time there's a you know, drought and water doesn't come and things don't work as you think they would. And ultimately, Adam and Eve are banished from the Garden of Eden. Uh, we pick it up in verse 21. The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. And the Lord God said, The man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. He must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. So the Lord God banished him from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been taken. And after he drove the man out, he placed on the east side of the Garden of Eden cherubim, and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. 
Did you get that detail at the end there? The tree that was at the center point of Eden, the tree of life, that gave Adam and Eve eternal life. The tree that God said, you can eat from that. That tree, they're no longer allowed to eat from. That's what they're banished from. And they're doomed to eventually die. So, you know, what do we learn about navigating change from this passage? Like I said before, I'm not sure anyone would choose this passage to then go and write a self-help book on. But, you know, there is something. And really, just very simple one thing I want you to notice this morning. And we're just going to reflect on this a bit. And then we're going to have some ministry time. Because actually, as we enter into a season of looking at change... There is, I guess, a foundational principle that I want us just to catch this morning. Did you notice that God never leaves Adam and Eve? If you, if you flick over to chapter 4 and you read through the story of Cain and Abel, you will find that God is not silent. God is not withdrawing from his creation, especially with mankind. He doesn't go silent on them. He doesn't go absent on them. In fact, God is in the wilderness with them. You may have picked up, as I often have, from, you know, when people sort of summarize what's happening in this part of Scripture, that God banished Adam and Eve from his presence. But that's just not actually in the text. It doesn't say that. It says that he barred them from the tree of life, but not from him. Even after the fall, as we look through, you'll see there's this tender kind of interaction that God has with Cain. I want to just read it briefly. Let's look at Genesis 4, verse 6. So God is interacting with Abel and Cain. God blesses Abel's offering, and he doesn't bless Cain's. And Cain is really upset and cross. And then we hear these words from God. The Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. You know, as I read those words, I thought, isn't that a father's words? Isn't that just a parental, gentle, disciplining cautioning, warning words. I actually wondered where Adam and Eve were here. You know, it's almost like God has taken that role of parenting Abel and Cain. And because these are the first humans to have to deal with sin, the knowledge of good and evil and how to navigate that. And God is right there with them. He's through it all. And I think this is so important that we get this in our heads because actually what, what we have in our heads just about this small thing changes our core belief about what God is like. Is there something that I can do that means I'm beyond God's saving and redeeming love? No. We, you and I, we can never stray so far away from God that he won't be there to meet you in an instant. 
Jeremiah 24, 23, it says this, Do I not fill the heaven and earth, declares the Lord. In that passage, he's talking about, can you, is there anywhere that you'll be on my reach? No, there isn't. Will God ever leave you in the midst of trouble or grief or confusion? Deuteronomy 31, the Lord himself goes before you and will be with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. This is so important, guys, because it actually changes the way we respond to change. God might not make something happen, but he is in every single change that we experience. He's right there in it. As Adam and Eve walked out of the garden for that first time, you can imagine the strife, the arguments. That, that you know, I, I just, I can just imagine as a married couple, you can imagine the arguments that came from that, can't you? The processing of what have we done? Who, whose fault is this? <laughs> yeah, like all of the tension, all of the regret. And yet God was with them in that. He wasn't silent to the the pleas and the groans. And we see as we read through the rest of Genesis, there is a a people already beginning to worship God, already bringing their offerings to him. Noah, by the time we get to the end of that kind of first section of the family line, here is a man who is faithful to God, who worships God, and he hasn't even given the law yet. But the memory and the experience of knowing God has followed through generations. I'm actually going to just invite you to stand and we're going to pray now. I've really sensed there are a few words the Lord wanted to speak over us today. And so I'm going to invite Bonnie to come up. Will you stand with me? And we just, we're going to invite the Spirit to come. Lord, we come before you just so aware of our need for you. Unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor in vain. The Lord watches over the city. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the guards stand watch in vain. We need you, Lord. So we invite you to come by your spirit now. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. For some of you this morning, I really sense that there is a... There's a a process the Lord wants to do of moving this from your head to your heart. That God will never, ever leave you. Never forsake you. Never turn his face and walk away. And you know what? He doesn't do it. This is important. It's not like God does it and and. And is against us. And then Jesus comes along. Actually God. God's love. God's affection. 
towards us, even in the midst of punishment, even in the midst of the consequences of our sin, it doesn't change. And Jesus is, his sacrifice, it is an outworking of that love. It is an expression of that affection having never turned away. Isaiah 49 says this, and I, I sense I want to read this over some of you today. You know, I need to hear this. Will God ever leave you? God says, can a mother forget the baby at her breast and have no compassion on the child she has born? And though she may forget, I will not forget you. See, I have engraved you on the palms of my hand. That's your name right there on his hands, on his palms engraved. In the scars of Christ on the cross, in his hands, that's his name. I imagine him coming into the disciples. He comes into this room today and he says, See, I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. He knows you by name. He calls you. I want to invite you this morning just to bring the change, the turmoil, the anxiety, whatever it is that you can identify that brings those questions and those doubts just before him. And Lord, we ask that you would step into that space with us today, that we would know that you're there. Thank you, Lord. Come, Lord Jesus. Let's just hang out in this space for a bit longer. Come, Lord Jesus. Come, Lord. Thank you, Lord. We welcome your spirit to come. Come, Holy Spirit. Come and do your work. And I wonder if you wouldn't mind just coming and playing a little bit for us. We're just going to spend a bit more time in this space. And actually, I really want to invite you. If you know you just want the Lord just to touch you in this, you may just want to put your hand up in the air. In due course, I'm sure we'll get back to doing ministry like we normally do. But for now, we're just going to do it where we are. So if you know, you just, just put your hand up in the air. If you just know you want someone to pray for you, someone... And let's do it this way. If someone's near somebody, you can just stretch out a hand towards them and just pray for them. Let's just stay in this space. That's it. Just put your hand up. Fantastic. Also sense this morning that um, some of us are actually really struggling with anxiety. And it's got to do with knowing the future. And uh, that's, you know, normally maybe that wouldn't be a problem. But at the moment, it's like, who knows what's going to happen tomorrow? This actually is causing a lot of anxiety. And I felt like the Lord wanted to speak into that this morning. 
and say, actually, knowing the future is not his plan for you. Because that won't bring peace. But instead, knowing that God holds the future in his hands. And knowing that God has everything you need for tomorrow. And I just sense there was actually, a, for some of us, a need to just let go of trying to figure out, trying to control, trying to know what is happening next. Because it's causing more anxiety. It's actually doing the opposite of what we want it to do. So can I invite you, if, if that or anything that we've spoken about this morning, just put your hand up. We'd just love to pray for you. So if you could just look around and if there's a hand up around you, just stretch your hand out. Mm. If you're online, if you have somebody else in the room with you, get them to um, just pray for you. Uh, if you're on your own, put your hand on your heart and allow the Holy Spirit to minister to you uh, directly. Yeah, actually, I, I did get a sense that word about anxiety, particularly for somebody online this morning. So if you were waiting for that invitation, you felt like, oh, this is kind of going on in the room. It's not, it's not just for this. Actually, it's for you this morning. So like Bonnie said, just lay a hand on your heart. And I, I just want to pray. Lord, I pray for that person right there that they would actually um, now receive, receive a trust that you want to put in their hearts that they would be able to let go of, of needing to know what happens tomorrow and that they would be able to receive these words. I know you. I know what tomorrow holds. Come, come close to me. Come close to me. It's in that place of intimacy that we we learn to trust and we find his peace for tomorrow. Thank you, Lord. Just, um, mm. I just also sense that there's somebody um, either in the building or watching. Um, you know, the, the, that story of the Garden of Eden um, is about the choices that Adam and Eve made and the consequences of those. And sometimes change comes into our lives and things happen because of the consequences of choices we have made. And we feel like because we've made those choices, God will leave us and God won't be with us and he won't help us in walking out um, into what he has for us because we have made those choices. And I just, I don't know if there's somebody particularly who's just really struggling to go, yeah, 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 I know God is with me, but I know I made this choice and has led to these consequences. And I just really feel like the Spirit is wanting to say that is a lie from Satan that keeps you from him and keeps you from moving forward. And actually, again, like we were saying early on, he wants you to, in, he, to invite him right into that space. He can totally handle you making a choice um, 
and it not being the right choice. It doesn't, doesn't phase him. doesn't mean he loves you any less. doesn't mean he doesn't have a plan for your life and won't walk with you and walk it out. Uh, and so his heart is so for you, whoever you are. His heart is just that you would come to him as you are, just as he walked with Adam and Eve straight out the garden. He was with them. He kept on being with them and speaking to them and tenderly making clothes for them. Like, that is what the Lord wants to do for you.